Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we give you permission to form us. God, not form us in the image of Micah or whatever reels we like to watch or people we like to follow, but God, rather we just want to be formed by your word and by your spirit. So God, we submit to that process of silencing ourselves, quieting ourselves to your presence and your spirit. So Father, may it always be said that this place was fixated upon you. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. If you've been through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, many of you, for kind of background, I always like to preface what we're going to talk about with an understanding of why we're talking about it. If you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, you know that it spans Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. What you also have to understand about Sermon on the Mount is we see that it's Jesus' first uh, public address, have you will, in which he goes out and he essentially, if you look, Matthew has a genealogy. It talks about kind of his, some miracles and works that happen, but really those first four chapters, there's not a whole lot of Jesus actually talking until we hit Matthew 5. Now, to even insert yourself in the story to understand this fully, what we actually can see is this, is Jesus is doing miracles. He's, there's signs and wonders out of nowhere. And he's 30, so he's like been here. He didn't just like show up on the scene. And he's doing things that none of us can actually claim to have ever done. None of us have ever seen before. Who is this person? So what we see is that we, the Jews are intrigued, the, the Gentiles he's engaging with, which are the unrhythmed, or the non rhythmic Doubt is what everybody's kind of talking and trying to figure out who this man is. And then he goes into the Sermon on the Mount, which is essentially his address of what I would call counterculturalism. What do I mean by that is Jesus comes on the scene and what you have to understand is the Jewish belief system was constituted of thousands and thousands of rules. Extreme legalism, extreme religion, in which Jesus comes on the scene and what he does is he reorients. He's essentially redirecting the efforts away from just knowing the actions and saying the words to how do we form our hearts to be children of God that walk in the ways of God. Now before we even get into the reading today, which... It's going to be a lot, believe it or not. 27 verses. We're going to hit them really quick. It's going to be incredible. But uh, before we even get into that, I, I want to give a little clarity to the authorship of Matthew. See, what you have to understand the experience of Jesus. He is an incredible insight in to who Jesus was and what influenced his decisions, miracles, and actions. Now, here's another thing you have to understand, historical context. Matthew writes his gospel 30 years post Jesus's death, post Jesus's ascension. And here's the other thing that's going on, and many of us don't talk about this today in Christian circle, is that there is a, there is a chasm forming between non-religious gent- and Gentile versus the Jewish upbringing. And what's happening is this, 
30 years after Jesus' death, there's been a boiled down rhetoric, have you will, of, hey, listen, just don't, you don't really have to do all the things of the law. You just have to have faith in Jesus. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Listen to the apostles' teaching and follow after the man. Now, the Jews who'd been raised their entire life were like, yo, I had a strict child upbringing and I have memorized the Torah. You're telling me that I don't have to do any of this? No, that's not how it is. But what Matthew then kind of tries to do through his gospel, and I believe does an incredible job, is he tries to kind of marry the fact that Jesus was not just a culmination of more religion. He was a fulfillment of what religion was in the Old Testament and an invitation into something nobody... ...personal relationship. What do I mean by that? If you actually read in the Old Testament, what you see is that God was confined to the tabernacle specifically a place called the Holy of Holies, specifically to a people who were spotless, blameless, and sinless that could go in. You know how many people this was on the face of the earth? An extremely small percentage. What am I trying to get at? See, the God of the Old Testament was a distant God, prayed, sacrificed, and hoped, wasn't angry at you. But Jesus becomes God to man in which he comes absolving the old covenant through his sacrifice, inviting us to a new covenant of relationship in which we are filled with his spirit. And our words aren't just things that, his words aren't just things we read off a page, but as the Bible says, his words would now be written upon our hearts. So what am I getting at? Matthew essentially marries this idea that Jesus is the fulfillment of the religion of Judaism. He is an invitation for all humanity to enter into something that they could have never earned, purchased, or gained on their own. And that God truly was a person who wanted to be involved in every piece of fabric of our humanity. So with that, part of this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, is is a lot of phrasing that just you're like trying to keep up with. And what I mean by that is if you were here the first few weeks, we broke down in the Beatitudes, why the Beatitudes were important, but also what the Greek meanings were behind the the wording in the... I always want to make sure I'm referencing is this, is actually it says in Matthew 5, 19 and Matthew 7, 24, that we are called to practice the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Now for many of us, it's like, okay, I need to be pure in heart, I need to be meek, I need to... You know, do, like we're going to break down a lot today. Like, okay, do I rip my eye out if I look, if it causes me to sin? Like, what does this mean? And actually, what we see is it says that those who who do these words will be like a house who pra- have heard that. You know, are you building your house on the rock or the sand? Many of us contextually then should ask the question: Does that mean that am I doing the words of the Sermon on the Mount? Even in the beginning, it says that those who do these things. Well, who practice these things will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So what are we getting at? Jesus introduces counterculturalism, a redirecting of the effort of what religion was seen uh, in that day unto building upon in a world where nobody had ever known greatness before. This is the backdrop of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the teaching Jesus is getting at. I, don't, I say to get at and what I believe Jesus was trying to say. It is not about trying harder. It is about training harder. 
So how do we train in the things of godliness? Great question. Let's start reading today. And by the way, I've titled today's Sermon on the Mount Part 4, That Bar is Too High. That bar is too high. Once again, we're going to be reading from Matthew 5, 21 through verse 48. If you want to research any of the previous parts of Matthew in this chapter, you can go back there all on podcasts. You can listen to them on any podcast platform. And we are going to be going all the way up to Easter, all the way through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm so excited. Let's read this for the third time today for me, so I am not allowed to mess any of these. We're told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty. You are presenting your offering at the altar. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. Verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you to be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the very last cent to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give a certificate of divorce. His wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill the vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Today, you can. It's called dyeing your hair. Verse 37, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Don't worry, I'm going to break all this down for you a little bit later. It says this, verse um, 39. And by 39, I mean, dang it, I did mess up, and I've read this three times a day. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I cheat, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard what it is said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good of those who love you. What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Verse 48, therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the statement focus we are going to spend a lot of time on. That verse 48, be perfect as your Father is perfect. 
Here's what you have to understand. The very first time that Jesus comes out and he's going to deliver an absolute haymaker. Why? Because for a lot of us, we don't have the cultural awareness of what's going on. And what I mean by that is Jesus is stepping up on the scene and he's introducing all of these thoughts. Don't, you know, don't murder. Everybody's like, yeah, of course I'm not going to murder. And then he's like, also, if you're, if you're angry at somebody, it's the same as murder. And everybody's like, yeah, right, you're weird, right? And then he like keeps going down the line and you're just like, he almost gets like more deranged after more deranged. It's like, if somebody sues you, give him your coat. Like if, you know, if your eye looks at something, rip it out. Everybody's in Jewish context and culture. They're all looking at this guy like, Where is he getting these references from? But this is why he's referencing these things. And this is the most important thing. This will be the the foundation piece of our message today. In Jewish culture, it was all about actions and it was about words. In Jesus' kingdom, he was bringing something new that was dealing with desires, that was dealing with dispositions, that was dealing with heart postures. That was dealing You actually read as you hear him reference an exterior action. And what he does is it brings it back to an interior posture. See, what you have to understand is this. The Jewish culture and custom, the Old Testament, everybody knew how to act and they knew what to say. But Jesus wasn't there to get better actions and better words for you to speak. He was there to change your thoughts, your desires, your motives, your inward disposition. And this is what he's getting at, is he's essentially looking at his people. And all of a sudden, his people are looking at him and they're like, wait, that makes sense. Think about it like this. What is his response to murder? I've joked about that a few times. Okay, you say don't murder, I tell you don't be angry. I think that's a perfectly clear picture of what Jesus is trying to do. Because our minds, we go, well, that's a a weird reach. But for Jesus' mind, he's going, listen, the ingredients of murder typically are anger that form together into this cocktail that we drink that intoxicates our actions to produce what? Murder. Think about it. Jesus is coming on the scene, and what he's introducing to the Jewish people in his very first sermon, ooh, think about that. Because in this day and age, that's how we measure everything. We measure every period of spiritual growth, maturity, or, or development on anything we can measure externally. And what is Jesus doing? He's saying, hey, your external measurements of righteousness lo- no longer are what I am looking at. I am looking at your thoughts that nobody can see. I'm looking at your motives, which nobody knows. I am looking at your desires, which you know, and you're, you, we try to hide. And what I'm going to do is I want to submit them to my will. And in this place, you can become perfect. See, believe it or not, we all know this. Your words and your actions can be one thing, but internally you live a very imperfect life. Your actions your thoughts, your desires, your motives, your disposition. What happens when God has control of all of those? Perfection. You know, I like to talk uh, every week, give you guys a little bit of a story. I was uh, thinking specifically about a little bit deeper for all of us, but I was reflecting on my time, kind of in my maturity in faith in the Lord, and Believe it or not, uh, when I graduated high school, I couldn't go straight to the NFL. <laughs> I didn't play in the NFL. I didn't play college. Uh, 
You know, but every high schooler in the world is like, yeah, I'm going to play professional sports. I'll never forget this either. I have a bone to pick with my uh, home economics teacher from seventh grade. I told her, I'll never forget this. She, she like asked the whole grade what we want to be when we grow up. Her name was Miss May. And I was like, I was like, no, I want to play. I'm going to do it. And she's like, I have heard. And it's so funny to think about it today in hindsight. She's like, Micah, I have heard thousands of boys your age say that. And I've never seen anybody do it. I was like, well, you haven't seen me yet, but I didn't make it, so she was a little bit right. But where am I going? People are like, what's going on right now? Went from like deep Bible to like talking about trauma. I'm like, I I remember I graduated high school. I don't know what I'm going to do. I ended up doing some missions work. I come home after missions work, and I'm like, okay, I got to get a job. It's like, I'm not going to college. I don't know what's going on. And so at the time, I had a friend who ran, uh, who was the manager of a general nutrition company, GNC Supplements. So at 18, I'm 32 now, so this is 14 years ago, coming up on 15 at the end of this year. Uh, I remember I, I got a job part-time in sales, and I did so well quickly um, that I ended up managing that GNC within six months. And then over the course of that, I actually did really well and, and actually took over and started managing some other ones, and it was an incredible job. And in all honesty, if the Lord wouldn't have had me do what I'm about to tell you about, I probably still would be in sales because I loved it, the dopamine rush and selling people stuff. And it's also funny because I was extremely skinny. I was like 140 pounds just selling supplements to me. Oh, man, syndrome. Chill out. Anyway, uh, but, I, but I'll never forget this. I was working there, and one day a guy comes in. He looks at me, and he goes, man, I just sold him a bunch of product. He looks at me, he goes, man, you're an incredible salesman. You want to come work for me? And I look at this guy, and I'm like, okay, what do you do? And he says, oh, I do car sales. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but he looks at me, and he goes, you want to come work for me? I do car sales. And I said, to be honest, no, I'm, I'm very content with where I'm at. I love it. I love my job. I, long story short, had to fire everybody. My So I was like... I really enjoyed what I was doing, had great hours, flexibility, and at that time I was making 40000 a year, which today is like 440000 a year for back then. Some people don't know inflation yet, you'll find out. Anyway, uh, I remember I was like, I was like, you know, I really like what I do, I'm really enjoying, you know, being here, and he looks at me and goes, well, what will it take for me to get you to come work for me? And I said, probably nothing. He goes, how much money do you make? I said, well, I... 40,000 salary right now. And I looked at him and I said, ah, you're just a car salesman trying to sell me on your product. And he's like, what else do you need? I said, well, I'm involved in my church. He said, well, you can have all the flexibility you want. I said, okay. He said, do you have benefits here? I said, no. He said, you got benefits now. I said, what even is this job? He said, I want you to inter- oversee all the internet sales of all four of my car dealerships. And I said, oh, okay. Well, like I said, I'm pretty happy where I'm at. I said, he said, You'll have your own license. This was like the, the one that really got me. He was like, you'll have your own license plate and you put it on any car, drive any car on any lot at any time. You'll have your own license plate as long as you work for me. And I'm like, okay, now we're... But at the same time, I'm still very apprehensive. I'm like, dude, I'll be honest. I'm very content here. I like it here. And he looks at me, what will it take? And I said, well, dude, you're just trying to sell me. He said, I will guarantee this in writing for one year. Give me a piece of paper right now. So I give him a piece of paper. He writes all this out. Signs it, dates it, and says, I will guarantee this for one year. So I call my boss, and I'm like, hey, I've had this really weird, like, conversation. What do you think? He's like, it sounds like you don't work for GNC anymore. <laughs> I went to go work at, uh, it was, I was 19 at the time, I went to go work at this car dealership. How long do you think I made it? 
34? I'm 32 right now. I'd still be working there. I made it nine months. I tried hard. No, I'm kidding. I, I, it was a terrible. It was one of the worst decisions of my life. But it also was the decision that led me to where I am today. And what do I mean by that is what I, what I found out is this, is I started working at this car that I'm being paid like somebody at the time who's selling almost 30 cars a month. Of the four dealerships, only one dealership sold more than 30 cars a month. Only one. I was, and there was a sales force of close to 20 people. So, and most of these people had been lifetime car salesmen. So every time that I walked in, I was the guy that everybody hated. How do you think that goes for training? It does. I made it nine months, and ultimately I realized this. The bar of what I was getting paid to do was way higher than my ability and training could get me to. And so what happened is, as I assessed, will I be worth this at the year for this guy to look at me and say, yeah, you're worth getting paid 30 cars a month? No, the bar was way too high. But I tell you that story because what I was producing was not on par with what they wanted me to produce. It wasn't all my fault and it wasn't all their fault. But I will say it was the fault of the training or lack thereof, that I did not develop into what they wanted me to become. Or should I say it like this? My training did not have the trajectory that I needed. See, this entire part that Jesus just kind of spoke about is essentially Jesus coming up and saying, listen, your trajectory as a son or a daughter will come down to the training but you go for that high bar through me, through my word, through my spirit, but also through the realization that it is not any more actions or words. It is your thoughts, your desires, your motives, your hidden agendas, and the posture of your heart that I must transform for you to achieve this perfection. And if you've been here any length of time, you know that there's a statement that I like to say and Really, I would say it like this too. I say it following Jesus. We cannot promise that it is easy, but we can promise it'll be worth it. But what is worth it? If we go for this high bar, what is the promise? What is the blessing? I say it like this. In this day and age, I believe God offers what none of us could ever achieve on our own. Contentment, peace, and fulfillment. See, a lot of us, what we do is we come to God and we say, we have the desires in our heart. God, I want a spouse. God, I want a six-figure income. God, what we really want? Contentment, peace, fulfillment. This is the pursuit of perfection of this high bar, is the understanding that as we become perfected in his image, it is contentment, peace, and fulfillment that we experience as a byproduct of this training. So with that, I want to briefly touch on three things, three ways we raise the bar on motives, desires, and heart postures that we must confront on the journey to knowing Jesus. How we raise the bar on motives, desires, and heart postures we must confront on the journey to knowing Jesus. I'm going to give you, like I said, three things. The first one is this. The bar is not too high. Your view of yourself is too small. 
We drop the standards when we view them as unrealistic, not realizing we filter our reasoning through our own lens of what's possible or not, not God's. The Spirit has given you a new ability to become a new creation. It's your choice if you believe the lie of the flesh that says you are. You know, what's sad today is that we can say we live and we serve a risen and victorious king who invites us into his resurrection power and wants to make us a new creation in him. But we've met, but at the same time, we can think and live defeated. We can think and live through the lens of our own humanity that says, well, he doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know what I've been through. He doesn't know what I'm certain. Like, I could never reach that bar of perfection because everything about me has always been, is that, that that's always been God's specialty. People who are willing to submit to the training of becoming Christ-like in the hopes that God would provide and bring a wholeness, fulfillment, contentment, and peace that only He can. You know what's sad? I, uh, I've said this before, but you know, as I was writing this out, I was reminded. In Michigan, one of the things that I, I always felt like, uh, which is where me and my wife were from, we were on staff at a church there for 10 years, was a lot of people had known me from when I was a kid or a teenager um, all the way through uh, to when I was a man and, and a husband and a pastor and all these things. And what a lot of people I felt like, their disciplines, their behaviors, their thinking. And a lot of people would just say this statement, well, that's how you are. I, could ju- I just can't be like you. I'm not wired how you are. I, I just don't, I'm not going to lie. That's just how you function. I can't function that way. And what they were really saying to me, and it was all so sad, was, listen, I, I, I want the kingdom, but I don't want to do the character development necessary for the kingdom to come to pass in my life. And what am I getting at today? I think for a lot of us, right, God has kingdom purpose in you, but he also has character development as well. And for a, a lot of us who maybe assess our character right now, we're sitting here and going, man, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm in a character deficiency. The best place you could be is self-aware. The best place you can start, self-awareness. I need to improve. How do I improve training? What do I need? Spirit, the word, and community. What are our rhythms around these things? What is the postures and habits we've allowed into our hearts, lives, minds, or thoughts that we ruminate, that form an identity that says, that bar is too high for me to ever reach. See, self-awareness, once again, is important. I want to say this to you right now, those who think high bar with low ability is a challenge. It is not a cop-out. See, a lot of the times we immediately can write off, God can't use me, I can't speak, or God can't use me in that gifting, or God can't use me in this way, or God... And in all honesty... We've become way too intoxicated with people with microphones, and this is coming with a, from a person with a microphone. Why am I saying this? I was talking to a guy. I did a wedding yesterday. They've never really been in church, never really grew up in church. He looked at me. He said, you know, do you, do you love public speaking? He said, well, what do you mean? Don't you preach to like hundreds of people and preach to thousands and thousands of people? Yeah, but what I found is this. It's, it's not these words that you guys need from me. It's a life that is rooted in depth, in discipline, in lifestyle that I can speak on. See, a lot of the times what we're looking for is an example and a model, not somebody who can just give a speech that hopefully gets us to live an example and a model. And what we need more than anything in this world is people who will take that. We even hear that in Christian culture. Take up your cross. But many of us don't realize that there's another phrase right after that. Take up your cross and follow me. See, it's one thing to carry a cross. It's another thing to carry a cross while following him, 
Why? Because we follow him because he carried the cross in a way that no other person has, no other person can. And we know that as we develop a gentle and lowliness of our Savior, that there is a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light. What am I getting at? That's actually a whole other passage. A lot of us, we want a yoke that's easy and a burden that is light, but many of us don't know the second half of that verse. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. Or should I say, I have developed a character of gentleness, of lowliness. And from that place, as I carry my cross after Jesus, he has made it easy to all of us today to not look at the bars too high and to not write yourself off through the fractured lens of however you see yourself. I hope you see yourself as how God sees you, which is worthy of his son so he could have access to your life and show you what true resurrection power is. The second thing I have for you today is this. You can fake words and actions. You can't fake motive. Is this direct in this passage? Going through the motions and knowing the words to say does not show a changed life. It's the little things we won't let slide. The development of our desires to match his. Developing our motives to not be purely selfish over time. It feels like perfectionism because it's so countercultural. This is the way of Jesus Christ. You know, many of us, we don't realize all of these kind of, I guess you could say, uh, egregious sins in a new standard. So actually what I want to do is I want to unpack six of those old standards and the new standards so you understand that Jesus genuinely, when he came and confronted the Jews, he was saying, I'm not here for lip service and I'm not here for an action that you think is righteous. I'm here for a pure heart. I'm here for a pure motives. I'm here for those who have desires that are after me. Old standard, murder. New standard, don't talk bad or be angry. Old standard, don't commit adultery. New standard, don't look at and lust after. Old standard, divorce certificate for anything. And what, this is what I want you to understand, is that actually was a real thing, is they had so misused and mis and tarnished what this meant in the Mosaic law that essentially if you had an argument with your wife that you did not think that she respected you, immediate grounds for divorce. And Jesus essentially reinstitutes that there is only one reason for a divorce and that is cheating and I add abusiveness as well. well some people are like, well, I don't see that you know, when people get divorced, but how the Jewish home was set up was that you lived with your family. Right? You didn't live with just you and your husband and your kids. You lived in such close community that there was an accountability and protection because of the access people had to your life. So what am I getting at? Do you have accountability and protection from those who are proximate that won't allow things to happen? Right? That's a really deep one. Sorry for going there. Old new standard. Have your yes and no be that and actually be something people can count on. This is my favorite one out of all of these. Why? Because you read this, it's like, don't swear on Jerusalem. Don't swear on the footstool of this earth. Don't swear on heaven. Don't swear on my name. Don't swear on anything else. And you're like, okay, why are we going through nine lists of not swearing? You know why? Because if somebody was, who didn't have character, what they would do is they would use an example in today's terms. I swear on the graves of whatever descendant is four generations ago. 
Like, I swear on my mother's love. You know, we're, what are we doing? We're taking something serious to validate the fact that maybe we have... Jesus is essentially saying, if you have to use somebody else for your own credibility, that's an issue. Who? If your yes does not mean yes, if your no does not mean no, and you have to use something else to validate your yes or your no, that is a problem. Once again, you can tell Jesus is getting at some hard stuff. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Actually, turn the other cheek. And if you get sued, go ahead and give them your coat. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. New standard, love your enemy. Pray for your persecutor. You ever seen somebody love someone or something if they don't have love on the inside? No, it's not possible. Love has to be. So I love this because Jesus is coming against this idea that we can love our neighbor, hate our enemy. But what he's really saying is that I hope you have such a love internally that even enemies you love and even persecutors you pray for. Because who I am and my, who, what my message is has so transformed the inside of you. It's your thoughts and your disposition has completely changed. This is the message he's giving. The last point I have for you today is this. Perfect is attainable. God would set a target if he believed you couldn't hit it. What we have to realize is the sight we aim through towards the target of perfected living is Jesus. The spirit that reveals the perfect law of God and then following Jesus' model as a perfect person. Jesus didn't pay a high price for a low bar. This is what you have to understand. I, I used this analogy. I should have broke it down a little more, but it's the third one, so I'll go out swinging. So when you aim down the sight, and I'm not trying to bring guns into this. I'm not like crazy on that. But when you, sit, when you aim down the sight of a gun, it helps you for and this is why it is so important to pursue and understand the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. This is why it's so important to constantly be in these places where we're processing Jesus and what it means to us. Because that sight of where our life has been aimed at, it starts to change when we start measuring it through the lens of who Jesus was. What Jesus said. What Jesus commanded. What Jesus has invited us into. What Jesus purchased for us. And I even want to challenge some of us because I think for, maybe there's this reasoning that doesn't realize that perfect, this is the, even in the Greek, I was researching this a little bit earlier, the Greek word for perfect is the culmination of, a, of works unto something. Which I just love that, that like imagery, like working unto something that has a culminating effect. Hey, you know, we're called to be perfect like he's perfect, or we can live a perfect life. It's we have trained in him to such a way that there is a culmination in our humanity in which it's like a, a deep breath of like, wow, I have developed something I never thought I could. And I celebrate that. But perfect is actually, believe it or not, used roughly 94 times in the Bible. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect. Psalms 18.30, this God, his way is perfect. Psalms 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, 
reviving the soul. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Luke 6, 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly... You know what the most fascinating part about that word perfect is? The most instances that it is used is the book of Job. Eleven times the word perfect shows up. Now, and a lot of it, if you actually research the direct usage, most of it is a description of his character and his life. If you read the book of Job, it is a very imperfect book. What I mean by that is it's written about a man who went through trial, tribulation, all kinds of craziness, lost his family, lost his wealth. It says it got so bad at one point in his life that as his friends were around him trying to convince him to curse God, that he was breaking clay pots and scraping the boils on his skin for comfort with the shards of clay. But guess what? He doesn't curse God. He doesn't walk away from God. And at the very end of the chapter, in the very last chapter of Job, we see that God returns double for what he went through. But what am I getting at? I think it's um, in one of the most testing stories in all of Scripture. What am I trying to say to you? The pursuit of this godly perfection of motive, of thinking, of disposition, of desire, it's going to be costly. And this is a high bar that I think many of us, we look at and we're like, ooh, can I? There's a contentment for you. There's a wholeness for you. There's a peace for you. I was reading yesterday and there was a Desert Fathers quote that said, to become a, if you become a man of peace, thousands will be saved around you. Why? Because peace is so rare. Wholeness, so rare contentment invitation to show humanity that if you pursue a higher bar you might find that this higher way of living is everything that you crave and everything that you have hoped for would you stand to your feet this morning I'm just going to pray over us as we sing one prayer. We have been, um, we've been leaning into reciting the Lord's Prayer together. So today, uh, I just invite us into that place. So God, we thank you this morning for who you are and for what you've done for us. God, and right now we repent of any ways that we view ourselves in which we're like, I could never measure up. I could never, I could never get there. I, I, I'm not going to lie. God, I'm just defeated. And God, I pray that people realize that the resurrection power that was purchased for them was not just some distant idea, but it was the, it was the, the power and belief that as Jesus could do anything and we are called to live in Him. thing is not just words that we say, it's not just actions we produce, it's desires, it's thoughts, it's motives. And God, right now, we put those before you. Thoughts, motives, desires, a posture of living that is different than you, we place those at your feet. And we say, God, that the the pursuit of perfected living that you've called us to and takes ownership of words 
but also takes ownership of the things that we cannot see and that others may not know. Today, we place those at your feet. Would you teach us to pursue this high bar of living so that we would know your contentment, fulfillment, and wholeness?